0: The great fundamental issue now before our people can be speaking. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. constitution.
1: I favor the American
0: system of individual enterprise. I am in favor of protection.
1: I
2: believe in the permanent court and further limitation of armament. I am opposed to aggressive war.
1: In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Whether we shape the future in the image of our hopes is ours is to determine by our actions and our choices. If we succeed, generations to come will say of us now living that we mastered our moment. Americanism, not globalism. Will be our credo
0: putting
2: America first. This is The Right Take.
1: On a cold and gray Chicago morning, a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. And his mama cries.
0: Cause if there's one thing that she don't need, it's another hungry mouth that hits so much harder than it usually does in the ghetto widely considered the saddest song that the king of rock and roll elvis presley ever recorded which i believe is why they used it in the end credits of the the movie that came out last year about him made even sadder of course there in the context in which that was played that of course is a uh, posthumous duet That his daughter Lisa Marie recorded, you know, with her own vocals over the track that he recorded in his life. Obviously, they didn't actually do that uh, duet together. Those of you who know, who aren't living under a rock, who are in tune with pop culture news, that is, we're opening the episode with that as a tribute, of course, to the late Lisa Marie Presley, who died at the age of 54 on Thursday from cardiac arrest. That just far too young, too soon, really devastating i i I couldn't believe it when I first saw it. I first saw the news that she suffered cardiac arrest It was taken to the hospital. she'd been in and out of rehab many times, you know most due to drug addiction and whatnot she'll she'll probably pull through this right next day nope she's gone so that is absolutely devastating very sad news rest in peace uh thoughts and prayers to the of course the Presley family to Priscilla, her mother, who now has ...outlive both her husband and her own daughter. That is devastating, especially when you consider that just literally two days prior to her death, Lisa Marie was at the 80th Golden Globe Awards with her mother, uh, where they were acknowledged in the acceptance speech, the speech of thanks, by Austin Butler, who won the award for Best Actor in a Drama for his portrayal of Lisa Marie's father, Elvis, in the movie that we, of course, reviewed in episode 69, Elvis, uh, The Man, The Myth, The Movie. His speech was very, very classy. I don't know if you watched it, Jacob. It was, you know, very straightforward. He thanked his producers, he thanked his family, his father, his late mother. He took time, of course, to thank Lisa Marie and Priscilla, and then he saved the best for last at the very end. He thanked, of course, the king of rock and roll. You are forever an icon, and we will make sure you are never, ever forgotten. So... Hopefully. Probably the only highlight of the Golden Globes worth watching. Absolutely. Yeah, there's always at least one moment. There's one speech. There's one person who is just the utmost class and is worth watching. Um, And, of course, I think that bodes very well for the Oscars that I, I really – we we agreed, of course, when we reviewed the movie. Austin Butler really should be the front runner for the Best Actor Oscar this year. Naturally, there were people rushing to say, oh, the must have been the vaccine. Was she vaccinated? You know, the same thing they did with Damar Hamlin, the football player, when he collapsed. And, again, no, she was in and out of rehab at least five times uh, due to drug addiction issues. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the same thing that ultimately killed her father. So relax, guys. This is not the jab. There's a lot of things to blame the jab for. This is not one of them. Again, as a longtime fan of Elvis ever since I was a kid, that is just another very sad note on early on in this year, 2023. I want to move on to something a little bit happier here. You know, a, a nice shout out I have to give. I was back on the Rod Arquette Show, 105.9 KNRS, out of Salt Lake City. They graciously invited me back to talk about a recent article I had written for American Greatness on the progress, or lack thereof, in the Supreme Court Marshall's investigation into the leak of the Dobbs decision, the overturning of v. Wade last year, which was over eight months ago now. It was May 2nd when the leak was first uh, reported by Politico. We still don't know who it is. We we know nothing about them. As I said in the interview with Rod, I said that, that these this Marshall investigation must be uh, competing with uh, John Durham at this point for the most slow-rolled federal investigation in modern history. They really – you really think – when the, the pool of potential suspects is so small, it obviously was someone with one of the three liberal justices, right? It had to be. None of the conservatives have any reason to do that. Very small group of people there. It's not that hard, you know, tracing the, the digital records and whatnot or downloading the files or whatever they did. I, I – we don't know. Maybe they do know who it is and they're just trying to figure out how to announce it. To how to, how to publicly shame the person, how they're going to begin charging the person. Who knows? Uh, but be sure to check out that interview. It has been posted on our website, raytechpodcast.com. And of course, our video platforms, BitChute, Rumble, and YouTube. Thanks again, Rod, for having me on. Always good to be back. There's a lot going on right now. There's a lot going on in the news. Uh, Biden is now completely caught with both feet in his mouth now over, uh, you know, after he's, ordered his FBI to kick down Donald Trump's door at Mar-a-Lago over stolen classified documents. Now Biden's got his own classified documents being kept in his garage.
2: is isn't his son on his driver's license. It's that
0: address. Yes, the house was actually owned by Hunter Biden, of all things. So, who know, maybe it was something Hunter did, because even if Biden did it, because these are documents from when he was vice president, even if Biden did it, that still would absolutely be illegal because the vice president, they may be the number two, but that's all they are. They do not have the authority to declassify documents. Only the president can do that. So that's blatantly more illegal than anything Trump may have done. Trump, again, it's not been confirmed that those were classified documents at all found at Mar-a-Lago. It was just a bunch of cover pages. But even if they were, he was president. He had the authority to declassify them. Biden never did in the case of these documents in particular. So I just remember seeing that the news that it was found in his garage and he admitted in a press conference it's like it's in my locked garage by the way i lock my garage you know i don't leave my corvette out on the street oh good good you don't leave your corvette and classified documents out on the street good to know but i was just thinking of that <laughs> stupid video remember that that advertisement you know youtube has these pre-roll ads that you can skip after five seconds there was this really stupid ad i forget what it was for of some guy who was like i'm here in my garage with my lamborghini Uh, But you know what's more important than a Lamborghini? Knowledge. And it was some kind of commercial for a book or a self-help book or something. I don't know what, but it became a meme. That's immediately what I thought of when Biden said, in my garage, that's my Corvette. But that is not what we're talking about here, folks. First of all, that's the problem when you're
2: trying to do a news and politics podcast is you've got a subject and you research that subject (laughs) and then breaking news happens and it completely turns – everyone's talking about the breaking news. But – we're we're not a news show. We are a politics show. So we're going to try our best to keep away from the news.
0: Exactly that we're not a, we're not a daily show yet. We're not a live show yet. We are a weekly show. So we take these subjects because it is important to really dive deeper beneath the surface level stuff, the implications of these things. And I think going into 2023, we had a pretty fat white pill here right at the beginning in the form of. The speaker battle. That is the topic for this episode, guys. We've got to talk about this because I think Jacob and I are in agreement here. Ultimately, so far, this was absolutely a net positive. The end result of the four day long battle, one of the longest ballots in the history of the United States House of Representatives for any speaker election. And of course, the mainstream media was melting down. This is chaos. This makes us look unstable. The GOP is so dysfunctional. That was just them coping trying to deal with the fact that the conservatives were about to secure a lot of very solid victories out of a speaker who is now sufficiently whipped to the will of the so-called radicals. He is a speaker, all right? Kevin McCarthy is maybe speaker of the House, but he has got to be one of the most neutered speakers in recent memory. He absolutely has no choice but to bend to the will, of the America First movement, the MAGA caucus, the Freedom Caucus, whatever you want to call them. And that is good news. So first, we've got to do a quick yeah, run. I just want to say, Go ahead.
2: Before we jump into it, I just want to say that uh, people on the left, like actual progressives, this is what they could only dream of doing to Nancy Pelosi. The problem is there are only four members of the squad. <laughs> and even if you throw in some of the more far left members of the progressive caucus, which there is a congressional, there is a progressive caucus. Yes. But most of the people in that caucus, are, a lot of them are just mainline neoliberal Democrats who would just like to call themselves progressive for mm-hmm. political reasons. But even if you throw in some of the more far left radicals that align with the squad, you're talking maybe another four or five, eight at most. That's not enough to do it to Nancy Pelosi, what the Freedom Caucus did to Kevin McCarthy. So it's it's been pretty funny watching leftists really kind of grit their teeth and, you know, really see over the fact that their side, their far left radicals were not able to do what the so-called far right radicals were able to do to their side. So that is one white pill that people can take encouragement from, that the conservatives in America actually do have organizational power in Congress as opposed to the clowns that align themselves with AOC.
0: I think they all got elected in 2018, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. Ayana Presley, they all got elected the same year. And they're like, Yeah, the young the young Turks were just drooling over these people. Like, yeah, these people are gonna make this the party of Bernie Sanders. And they did remember AOC led the charge among those four to clash with Nancy Pelosi directly, and they had a lot of open feuds. But sooner or later, Nancy Pelosi, you know, give her credit, she ruled with an iron fist. If you defied Nancy Pelosi, you were done. Like, she wouldn't have you primaried, but she'd kick you off your committees, she would basically make you persona non grata, and she would cow you into submission as a Democrat. And ultimately, that is what happened to AOC and the squad. They shut up eventually, they are now going with the program. And that's why now AOC at her town hall events is getting shouted down by her own people, like progressive voters shouting her down, saying like, you're giving support to Ukrainian Nazis. You've become the establishment that you promised you would never become. And again, like you said, Jacob, they are seething knowing that we, the America First movement, is so much better at gaining actual power through proxy like what just happened here in the Speaker's race. So let's go into it, and let's recap the timeline here, because the timeline is fascinating. You would just look at the different shifting votes and whatnot, shifting votes in terms of who was on the ballot, but the uniformity of the resistance was a beautiful thing to see. So again, at the start of it, on January 3rd, day one, there were 19 holdouts on the first two ballots who held firm against McCarthy. On the first ballot, it was kind of scattered. Andy Biggs got 10 votes. Jim Jordan got six. And Jim Banks, Byron Donalds, and Lee Zeldin all got one vote each. So, of course, that was enough to deny McCarthy the majority. So, for the first time in exactly 100 years, since 1923, speaker race goes to a second ballot. Ballot number two, all 19 held firm, no defections. And they all united to simultaneously vote for Jim Jordan, which was really weird considering Jim Jordan openly supported McCarthy and, you know, encouraged his people to, to vote for McCarthy. So I don't know if that was just them trolling Jim Jordan, like basically saying, like hey, you should be here with us, man, in the ranks of resistance. What are you doing? you will know, being a lapdog for McCarthy. So I think especially because after the second ballot, he called on his supporters to vote for McCarthy and they didn't. So I, I really do believe they were just trolling him, which I found hilarious. Then on the third ballot, this was crucial. Third and final ballot of day one. McCarthy saw his first defection when Byron Donalds, who again got a vote for speaker in the uh, first ballot, he defected and joined the 19. So the 20 of them unanimously voted again for Jordan. And that was a big sign. Byron Donalds uh, right now is only in his second term, so he's relatively new, but he's been kind of a rising star. He's from Florida, uh, a young black conservative who has been featured a lot on Fox News, outspoken supporter of President Trump. He's always been solid. So that was a bad sign for McCarthy right out the gate. Day two, January 4th. Despite numerous reports, the evening of January 3rd and the morning of January 4th, uh, reports I heard and friends of mine were sharing around that, there were major negotiations and concessions made behind the scenes. Oh, McCarthy's about to, to cave to some of their demands, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of them were going to flip. That did not happen. Fourth, fifth, and sixth ballots, the 20 all held firm and voted for Donald's unanimously. So the guy who defected now is essentially their you know, de facto nominee for speaker. At the same time, on these same three ballots... A second McCarthy supporter, Indiana's Victoria Spartz, switched her vote to present and she publicly called for the conference to return to a closed door meeting for further negotiations, basically signaling a weakening in McCarthy's support. So they ended day two with no decision on speaker day three, January 5th on the seventh ballot. 19 of the 20 voted for Donald's again while Matt Gates God bless him Florida man voted for President Donald J Trump to be Speaker of the house which you, I'll bet Democrats throughout that chamber just got PTSD hearing his name bellowed out on the house floor again
2: is is that actually possible like are you able to, are they able to elect a speaker who isn't an actual member of Congress
0: that is actually correct yes technically the house rules say you do, do not have to be a member of Congress to be Speaker of the house back in 2015 when we had the kind of chaotic Speaker's race after Boehner resigned and then McCarthy dropped out. Newt Gingrich kind of hinted, not so subtly, he would be prepared to throw his hat into the ring to come back and be Speaker again despite not being in Congress anymore. So, technically, yes, that absolutely is a real thing that can happen. It obviously never has and probably never will. But that is why you see in some of these speakers races, as we talked about before, some members of Congress will just turn in throwaway votes. They'll vote for Colin Powell. They'll vote for a member of the U.S. Senate, or in this case, they'll vote for President Trump. So that the thought and it had been speculated a lot. A lot of people were saying, oh, could Donald Trump decide to become speaker and get the support of the Republican Party so he can troll Congress for for two years as, as the speaker, which that would be the most Trumpian thing ever to be able to hold the gavel, to be sitting behind Joe Biden for the next two State of the Union, sitting next to Kamala Harris, probably making faces at the camera so that everyone's focusing on him and not Biden. Like, but, that,
2: like that meme that he released on the yeah, uh, truth social. Did he did he post, that? yes,
0: yes. Which God, oh God, I would love that. I would love nothing more than for Trump to be Speaker. Although now that he is running for re-election, I don't know if that's possible, like if that's legal, but either way. So it can't happen, but it probably won't. Uh, so going back to the, the ballots here, on the eighth ballot, 17 voted again for Donald's, while Gates again voted for Trump. Lauren Boebert and the newly elected uh, Josh Breachin from Oklahoma voted for Kevin Hearn, who is also a congressman from Oklahoma. I've never heard of this guy before. No idea really what's going on here, but a friend of mine speculated. Uh, actually, our friend Jack Hatfield on Twitter, I believe, was the one who said this. Um, he said that the play here is that uh, because Donald's, of course, defected. He was the one defector from McCarthy to the opposition. And they all turned around and started voting for him unanimously for Speaker. So that was kind of a sign to any other potential defectors that, hey, if you join us, we'll promote you. We'll nominate you for Speaker and give you this support and basically show you you're accepted with us. So subs- on all subsequent ballots, uh Hearn here got quite a few votes. So that might have been them trying to uh, to pander to Hearn, hoping he might flip. Maybe. I don't know. Again, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, but that subsequently led to uh, the next few ballots. The ninth ballot, 17 votes for Donald's, three for Hearn. The 10th ballot... 13 votes for Donald's, 17 for Hearn, and then on the 11th ballot, 12 for Donald's, 7 for Hearn, and Gates once again voted for Trump. Interesting uh, to note here is that across all these ballots, 7 through 11, <laughs> 7, 11 Victoria Spartz continued to vote present so that is eight ballots in a row where this woman votes present which technically reduces the overall number of votes needed to get to the majority but it still doesn't help McCarthy out because he has way too many people opposing him now people have speculated fast have of course you know why didn't she just affect like Donald's why'd she vote present uh, one theory I saw thrown out there is that uh, of course she's in Indiana And the U.S. Senate seat there held by uh, Mike Braun is about to become open in 2024. He announced he will not run for re-election because he's going to run for governor instead because Indiana governor Eric Holcomb is term limited out. So that's going to be an open Senate seat, and there's been speculation that Sparks wants to run for that seat, which most likely will be a very competitive primary, but it's a safe red seat. So she might be trying to show – the conservative base she's willing to play ball but also still not fully step on the establishment's toes so she might get like McCarthy's support and some other leadership support in a senate bid uh, that's a possibility I'm, I am think that's a, as good a theory as we're going to get uh, but we don't know yet why she just took the present option day four of voting which was of course the glorious January 6th <laughs> on the 12th ballot this was when things suddenly changed 13 of the 20 holdouts suddenly flipped to McCarthy after voting unanimously for Donalds or Jordan, whoever they all moved back to McCarthy and Sparks resumed her voting for McCarthy as well. At that point, only seven remained in opposition to McCarthy. And that was Andy Biggs, Lauren Boebert, Eli Crane, Matt Gates, Bob good, Andy Harris, and Matt Rosendale. Four of them voted for Jordan while three voted for Hearn. Then on the 13th ballot, Andy Harris flipped reducing the ranks of the holdouts to just six who all voted for Jordan. Then this is where it gets to the good stuff. The final two ballots. The fourteenth ballot, Gates and Bobert both voted present, while the remaining four were evenly split, a uh, split of uh, two each between Biggs and Jordan. As a result, this was hilarious because of their present votes that again reduced the threshold slightly for how many votes he needed to become speaker. He needed, at that point, 217 votes instead of 218 to become Speaker. As a result of their votes, though, McCarthy was stuck at 216. He was one vote shy. And you could tell that just he he just had enough at that point. This was at like midnight or like 11 p.m. at at night. So at this point, the the most famous moment of this whole thing uh, emerged. Over the course of about two minutes, McCarthy just got up and just strode right up to where Gates was sitting next to Lauren Boebert. And they had a very intense conversation. You can see it on the C-SPAN cameras, of course. You can't hear what they're saying. But McCarthy, his body language, everything, it just conveys a man who is exasperated and aggravated to the point that now he's trying to show aggression and borderline intimidation to Gates. But Gates is just sitting back, leaning back. Cool, you know, he's he's just taking it. He's obviously not, you know, playing ball here. He's not picking up any of what McCarthy's throwing down. He's not being intimidated. And after a moment, uh, McCarthy turns and walks away. And then... A guy from your home state, Jacob, Mike Rogers, Congressman Mike Rogers, is seen approaching Gates and leaning in suddenly, rather suddenly towards Gates, at which point another congressman, uh, Richard Hudson of North Carolina, has to grab him from behind and pull him back and restrain him. And the video, again, this is an audio only podcast, so we can't show the video without just doing it like a play-by-play WWE style, but Hudson put his hands on Rogers' shoulders, and then tries to turn him, like turn him as if like, hey, you know, come, like you're trying to take your fr- drunken friend away from starting a fight. But his left hand kind of slips up off his shoulder and covers Rogers' mouth. And the C-SPAN camera captures that. So then suddenly everyone in the house turns and there's this collective, oh, like oh, is the fight about to break out? And McCarthy just spins around. He does, as a former ROTC student, I can say this, he did a clean heel turn pivot like a sharp 180 and he started to walk back up the the walkway ready to break up a fight and it it was just it was just so good it was chaotic it was fantastic um side note here on this rogers thing later uh congressman tim Burchett, a republican of tennessee actually uh called rogers quote a redneck and suggested he was drunk saying quote People shouldn't be drinking, especially when you're a redneck on the house floor, end
2: quotes. <laughs> God. I, I honestly – I actually don't doubt that. You know, Mike Rogers was probably completely toasted when he went. Because you got to remember they've been at this for, what, 72 hours at this point? <laughs> this is day four. No, this is day four. It's longer than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that at all.
0: At all, I mean, d- definitely not. We know, we know. There's a long history of you know people, a storied history of members of Congress being drunk on on the floor of Congress. Whether it was the great Senator Joe McCarthy, uh, rumors that even Boehner would probably be a little tipsy back in his days as Speaker. The speculation is that uh, at that moment, M- uh, Gates was talking. He was negotiating with McCarthy right then and there, like haggling, like he would at a bazaar, um, saying that he wanted a subcommittee chairmanship with the House Armed Services Committee, of which Rogers was allegedly next in line to be chairman of. So. Rogers probably overheard that and thought, oh, yo, this SOB is about to take my chairmanship away. So that might be what, what set him off. But there was a little bit more haggling there that ultimately, come the 15th ballot, just before midnight, the remaining six holdouts, Gates, Bobert, and the others, voted present. They still did not vote for McCarthy, but they voted present, which canceled out their votes, lowering the threshold, and allowed McCarthy to finally win with 216 votes. So he finally became Speaker. Uh, Yeah, this was like the longest speaker race, I think, since 1859, not the longest one in history. Now, we're not quite in the territory. We never got close to the territory of 133 ballots, Um, but ultimately, this was still one of the longest ones ever. And as we said, yeah, that final moment, especially that climax, it was chaotic in the best way possible. So I want to go over some of the highlights here that are just so good. There was so many great moments that came out of this over the course of these four days. Uh especially for Matt Gates. I actually wrote an article for American Greatness uh called The Winners and Losers of the Speaker's Battle. And I basically at the end I, I say the best for last where I my conclusion is that, you know, of all the losers and all the winners, I think the biggest winner was Matt Gates. He emerged He was the leader of this. He was the one, I'm told he was the one whipping the votes behind the scenes in the anti-McCarthy effort. He clearly was the one negotiating with McCarthy, making the deals. He came away as the public face of this, especially not just the C-SPAN stuff, but the stuff he was putting out on Twitter, the stuff he was saying in interviews on Fox News and whatnot. And the best one, the most savage thing from Gates was this letter. He posted an official letter uh, to the architect of uh, Congress, uh, architect of the Capitol, the Honorable J. Brett Blanton on January 3rd. So this is the first day of voting. McCarthy's not speaker yet, obviously, but Gates reports to the architect that uh Kevin McCarthy, as of this morning, uh, the 117th Congress adjourned the uh, Sindai and a speaker from the 118th Congress has not been elected. Um He knows he points out then that I will I write to inform you that the speaker of the House office located in the U.S. Capitol building is currently occupied by Rep. Kevin McCarthy. What is the basis in law, House rule, or precedent to allow someone who has placed second in three successive Speaker elections to occupy the Speaker of the House office? Here's the punchline. How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? And this is an official letter with, you know, the, the letterhead and everything. And
2: his favorite lines in interviews was, you don't get to move into the office by coming in second place, which was obviously reference to Hakeem Jeffries, who kept coming in first, and uh, McCarthy kept coming in second place. So that's something that even Democrats who hate Gates could find funny, I thought.
0: Oh, yeah. Diet Obama. In other words, the guy that they nominated to be their new uh, leader in the House of <laughs> Representatives. Oh, God. there's. Oh, I mean, we all thought, we thought Cory Booker was the Diet Obama. This guy is a whole new new level like he's clear even more so trying to intimidate obama i'll say i'll give this this much hakeem jeffries for one he's not obviously closeted gay like cory booker is so he comes across as a little more masculine but oh man this guy is whoever writes his speeches or whoever comes up with the stuff that he says are the laziest low IQ people ever, and he signs off on some of this stuff thinking it actually sounds good. I've got to pull up a video here that is just, that highlights everything that is wrong with this guy. Slam poetry for Congress. Yes, you, you know exactly what I'm referring to then, Jacob. So for those of you who, of course, have not heard this, this was the first speech he gave Following his uh, defeat, of course, you know he failed to become speaker. This is his opening remarks. Uh, and we're, we're not going to play the whole thing because it's insufferable to listen to, but just to give you an idea of what this guy is all about.
1: We'll always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism.
0: Oh, gosh, I- I'm not going to play the rest of this, but he literally
2: uh, a co- <laughs> who's who's the aim, who's in the amen corner over there the entire time he's talking. Yeah. The, the
0: right. people every uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> every other vote every, whenever they were voting, you know, as the Republicans were still doing their thing, every other time someone cast a vote for Hakeem Jeffries, they would say something like, you know, my brother in, in oppression, Hakeem Jeffries, to be the first black speaker, and they all go yeah, and they they all <laughs> applaud, like they were clapping for every other vote for Jeffries. So oh when someone gosh. has like, the, if you have the c-span feed in the background and you suddenly see a bunch of people clapping, my first instinct is. Oh, 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 did somebody flip? Did, did a Republican just vote for Jeffries? What's going on? But no, it was just them congratulating themselves. But a coworker of mine pointed out to my horror, as a former English minor, this guy literally is going through the letters of the alphabet in alphabetical order. So I'm like, oh, dear God, he, he had his <laughs> interns, literally ABC, he had his interns come up with 26 oh my God. horrible examples of alliteration. That's oh, This oh, is, because alliteration can obviously be very useful for like titles and whatnot, but there is such a thing as too much Hakeem, there is too much here and it's just childish. The best thing that can come out of this is the responses on, on social media mocking him for this and, like, sure enough, people saying, like, oh, yeah, oh, sure, Hakeem. Uh, retardation over rhetoric. Uh, Training is... <laughs> 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 trannies oh, over man. trannies over transportation <laughs> groomers over yeah. girls you know, like just you could easily this is so easily mocked and yeah this guy's not inspiring at all he does not come across as iron-fisted as nancy pelosi certainly but if this is supposed to be their idea of eloquence then they uh, of course they'll prop him up and cnn will say oh he's so well spoken but of course he, he's amateurish these people are not intelligent folks don't ever forget that our enemies well, are I not intelligent gonna- people
2: no, it, correct, and it, I mean Joe Biden is president. But <laughs> as we're going to get into in our in our long take on Twitter, they have they have accumulated so much power the the neoliberal establishment in America that they no longer feel the need to present acceptable candidates, articulate candidates who can win elections. Like they don't have to go digging from the bottom of the barrel to find someone that can actually build a winning coalition, like a Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama. Now it's just you know we'll put up whoever. Uh, all they need to do is get the you know the one group in their corner to be passionate that they have to have to win elections, and they figure you know we'll just use our power in the media to do the rest. All you really need is just make sure that teleprompter is working, and it, it, it was able to carry him to re-election with only 47 percent of the vote. And this is something that – I read a good article this past week that points out that – it actually wasn't an article. It was a Twitter thread. Someone was pointing out that Biden is most likely – he's got a really good chance of winning an election oh, yeah. with only 45 percent approval rating because what they do is because they control the media because they control all the institutions the narrative they're able to cover up his mistakes they're able to mm-hmm. to paint over the, the errors that he's created, the economic pain people are feeling, they're able to empathize with people, and that's what Obama did. Obama had like a 47% approval rating when he won re-election, and uh, it's, it's because of the institutional power that they wield. They're able to put up people like Hakeem Jeffries who it, you know sounds like an idiot, <laughs> and he's still able to – I mean if the Democrats, uh, if they win a majority, even if it's like a one- or two-seat majority in 2024, then he will be the Speaker of the House.
0: So moving along here, uh, we got to talk about the battle lines. And I said this in my article. One of the most valuable things to come out of this wasn't even a policy victory. It was the battle lines that were drawn in the conservative movement among major pundits, political figures that we all thought were, were solid conservatives, or at least most of the base with were the conservatives. But their true colors came out with the, the question of McCarthy, to McCarthy or not to McCarthy. Uh, first up, we have Mark Levin here who tweeted on January 3rd. I quote – I bet Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger would be voting with the 19 as well. End quote. Which, first off, that's extremely stupid because they're obviously, those are never Trumpers who would go right along with McCarthy. You know, to suggest, oh, they'll take the side of people who are nominating Trump for Speaker, that's just idiotic. But furthermore, to compare these conservatives to two literal rhinos who are now not in Congress anymore, by the way, thank God. It's, 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 how disconnected this guy is astounds me, considering he is, like, he was always considered, like, the number two most popular conservative radio host behind Rush Limbaugh. So, for him, to, for Rush to be so in tune with what the base wanted, but then right behind him, you've got Levin, who has no clue what the base wants. That always, that kind of surprised me a little bit to see that from Levin. Um, speaking of uh, radio hosts who are, you know, secondary to Rush Limbaugh, uh, Sean Hannity. Oh, good God, Sean Hannity. Ugh. This is a clip we're going to play here. This is actually from, this is posted on Twitter by the Columbia Bugle, which is a great Twitter account, by the way. If you don't follow them, follow them at, at Columbia Bugle. Uh, this is just a short clip of Hannity from his show. Uh, this was also January 3rd. The caption for this simply was the word BOOMER in all caps with four exclamation marks. And you'll see why when you hear what he has to say here.
2: And tonight we asked the question. Oh, well, how about this question? What would Ronald Reagan say? What would Ronald <laughs> Reagan do? Now, as President Reagan famously told his staff, quote, the person that agrees with you 80% of the time is a friend and an ally, not a
0: 20% traitor. Republicans, they would be wise to heed that advice. So Ronald Reagan would have supported Kevin McCarthy, obviously. I, I Am I the only one here, first, Jacob, who is sick First of, of all, or- even
2: if— Yo yo, go ahead, go ahead. Your I was doctor, just saying am I yeah.
0: am I the only one here who is sick of conservatives still trying to dredge up the ghost of Ronald Reagan now uh it, nineteen you're going on nineteen years now after he died? That, that's exactly what I was about to say.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I was about to ask who is Ronald Reagan? I I was born in ninety one. I'm pretty sure George Bush Sr. was president then, not Ronald Reagan. So I've never been alive when this guy named Ronald Reagan was president.
0: I was born in 94 when Clinton was president. And that's the thing, actually, I realized when I was uh, having this discussion with Carl Jackson about uh, the young voters who I think made the biggest impact in the midterms. uh, The year 2022 was actually the first time that voters, kids who were born, Gen Zers, Zoomers, who were born in the year Ronald Reagan died, 2004, we're old enough to vote because obviously mm-hmm. 18 plus 2004 is 2022. So you now have kids voting who literally were not around when Reagan was alive. You really think we can go much longer talking about how great Ronald Reagan was as if that's going to do anything. It's, it, it's just absolutely sad. It's playing on nostalgia for, for an, a meaningless and unattainable platitude. We'll never know what Ronald Reagan would think about Kevin McCarthy. So why bother? Why bother? It just makes no sense.
2: Look at the the time difference between where we are now and when Ronald Reagan first became president, and it's longer than when Ronald Reagan became president and FDR left the White House. And FDR was obviously the most successful Democratic president in history. In the 70s and 80s, Democrats did not – Harken back to the ghost of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the way that Republican established Republicans harken back to the ghost of Ronald Reagan, and they arguably had more to brag about FDR about than what Republicans have to brag about Ronald Reagan. I mean, the guy served four terms; he was America's leader during World War II when we defeated two enemies on two separate fronts. So. But yet they didn't constantly – when you go back and listen to Democratic speakers and Democratic pundits from the 70s and 80s, it's not constantly FDR this, FDR that. They are moving forward on their agenda that they built on top of what FDR did. I mean they were more concerned about building upon the great society of LBJ's legacy who didn't even run for reelection than they were some guy who had been president four decades prior.
0: When they have more presidents they can you know call upon in recent memory who were huge successes. I mean the Republicans – obviously discount both the Bushes, completely throw them out. So you've got Ronald Reagan, you've got Nixon, who I do think was one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, but of course, a little thing called Watergate, so they don't like to talk about him. Ford was a complete non-entity. And then you go all the way back to Eisenhower, who was another great president, but he's way too far, way too long ago. And then of course, yeah, prior to that, you had Truman, you had FDR, and then you're going back to the 1920s for your previous Republican president. So the Democrats have more past presidents they can call upon as great historic examples who were good presidents but they don't do that they never gush over LBJ but they do move forward building on what LBJ built you know Biden very much is trying to be a modern LBJ with his policies the stuff he is getting done you don't have to talk about it to to emulate them just do it just emulate them without constantly bringing up their name And speaking of people trying to relive their glory days, uh, uh, not surprising that his name is coming back up, considering we talked about him uh, as the highlight of one of our episodes right before the midterms, Newt Gingrich. So not surprisingly, Newt Gingrich came out in support of Kevin McCarthy as well. Also on January 3rd, after the first few votes for Speaker ultimately failed and McCarthy was humiliated, Gingrich had a rather interesting take on the 19 Republicans and later 20 who opposed McCarthy.
1: They're not voting against Kevin McCarthy. They're voting against over 215 members of their own conference. Their conference voted overwhelmingly, 85%, for McCarthy to be speaker. So this is a fight between a handful of people and the entire rest of the conference. And they're saying they have the right to screw up everything. Well, the precedent that sets is so do the moderates. Uh, so though the members from Florida, I mean, any five people can get up and say, I'm now going to screw up the conference, too. The choice is Kevin McCarthy or chaos. And there's nobody going to replace Kevin because he has far more people totally dedicated to him than this handful of never-enders. And the result's going to be anybody who tried to replace Kevin would face total chaos.
0: Uh, so clarification, that actually was from the day before the speaker ballots began. So this was when there were still only five confirmed people who said absolutely without doubt they would vote against McCarthy. So that's why he said, you know, all it takes is five people. Obviously, I, I think my take here, as I think you would agree, Jacob, is that McCarthy, of course, he released that stupid uh one page policy plan, the commitment to America perfectly bland, generic GOP talking points that, as we said, was just trying to copy Gingrich's contract with America from 1994. So as we said, jokingly, the title of the episode, Speaker Newt McCarthy, question mark. uh, Obviously, he's trying to emulate Gingrich. Gingrich is flattered by that. So of course, Gingrich is going to go to the mat for McCarthy and call out these people and say, they have no moral right to oppose McCarthy. Like, okay, uh, who are you to say they have no moral right? What if their constituents say, oh yeah, we send you to Congress because we want you to vote against McCarthy. So who are, who do they answer to then Republican leadership or their constituents? So not surprisingly, of course, Gingrich, just two days later, January 4th, as it's still going on, he backtracks completely. I mean, a sharper 180 than McCarthy's heel turn on the floor when he thought a fight was breaking out
1: i I did a tweet today saying it's really hard to explain uh to Putin or Xi Jinping or Kim Jong un exactly what's going on because this is freedom, and freedom is messy and sloppy and also uh remarkable remarkably creative. We'll get there uh and we'll have a speaker probably i think probably sometime tomorrow
0: oh so it was chaos two days ago now it's freedom mm-hmm. now it's freedom. <laughs> Just. Uh, I I, I don't know. That that, that one I'm not surprised by. I'm more surprised by the sudden about-face that he did than his initial statements. What say you, Jacob? Well, it it goes back –
2: one of the main arguments that you're going to hear from the people who claim that America is not based on a people but based on ideas is that the United States has an obligation to portray – to sell democracy, to portray democracy as being something that is desirable, that other countries should emulate – and so there, whenever we have a big blow up like this, whenever everything doesn't run smoothly, then we've got to try, then they try to defend it and say, well, this is democracy, it's messy. We get freedom in exchange, Poppy politics. Because that's one of the criticisms, the criticisms that the Chinese government levels at the United States is look at the way what we, look at the way we run things in China, everything is smooth. We don't have these, these bickering debates in our parliament like you do or whatever they call their uh, – whatever they call their parliament there like you do in your congress. And then you'll have conservatives and even liberals who will come out and say, well, that's freedom. That's democracy. We get to debate things. But at the same time, they will turn around and say, look at this mess that Republicans are causing. You're going to cause democracy to look bad. So it's kind of – they don't really know which side of that fence to straddle. They don't know if we should make democracy look good by making everything run smoothly and make it look like everyone's on the same page, or if we should defend the messiness of democracy as saying that that's the price we pay for freedom. So that's kind of where Gingrich is at here. He doesn't know which side of that
0: fence to land on. Well, I guess that's still a little better overall than this guy's position on that particular fence. Uh, Not surprisingly – Dan Crenshaw. All right. I patch McCain, as some people call him. He obviously he's or he's a rhino. He's been exposed as a rhino as a, a never Trumper for quite a while now. He not surprisingly had the worst take of any Republican in Congress. And he did this on a Fox News show, by the way, a Fox News radio show. This was on Guy Benson's radio show. This is what the guy who hopes to be John McCain's spiritual successor had to say about the uh, the 20 Get another scalp and another scalp, whether it's whether it's Boehner or Paul Ryan or then McCarthy, Scalise would just be next and we all know it. We just can't allow that to happen. That's why those of us are saying, like, look, you pushed us into this corner. So now we're now we're saying we won't vote for anyone but McCarthy. That's why we're saying it, because we cannot let the terrorists win. That, that's basically what's happening. Is this guy still stuck in 2004, Jacob? Like, if, if you don't vote for McCarthy, the terrorists win. Like, I couldn't believe that when I heard it the first time. Then I believed it a few seconds later
2: well here's the thing there's so many Republicans that have have not moved past the bush years, like they voted for Trump, they supported Trump, but deep down in their soul, they are still neocons. They still yes. believe that America is not founded on you know people and soil. They believe that America is founded on ideas, and if we don't Honor those ideas of democracy and freedom and all this other stuff. And if we don't go get with the program, then we are terrorists because we're going against America, which is an idea. And so, in his mind, you know, Kevin McCarthy is a regular, normal Republican conservative. And anyone who doesn't get in line and just, you know, allow that freight train to run them over, they are a terrorist because they're getting in the way of progress. It's kind of, it's really the same way same uh, really Trotskyite view that liberals have there's really no difference between the neoconservatives of the bush era and the you know the trotsky
0: said that, uh, that still infect the democratic party so thankfully this comes back to bite dan crenshaw very very hard um we'll we'll talk about that later he does end up apologizing for those remarks but only after he gets absolutely humiliated we'll come back to that in a bit one last clip i wanted to play here this is again from someone on our side this is from lauren bobert who i think was definitely the runner-up uh the number two biggest winner in this battle she came across as you know the second in command behind matt gates of the the anti-mccarthy coalition she uh, again especially considering that marjorie taylor green was supporting McCarthy from the very beginning and she basically became an attack dog for Kevin McCarthy. Lauren Boebert definitely filled in that gap and she was very, very good as well. And this speech was definitely uh, the most interesting moment because it does invoke the name of the former president. She does this very tastefully. She doesn't insult him, but she does call into question his decision to endorse McCarthy for speaker. Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off, I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. With that, I yield. Thank you. I love that reaction from the house though, because like, oh, she's she's on very thin ice there, criticizing Trump. Or so there,
2: she's probably going on by all. She's probably talking about that famous photo that was uh, spread around social media of Marjorie Taylor Greene holding up her phone to one of the Freedom Caucus members, oh, yeah. consistently like, here, take this, and on the phone it says DT. <laughs> so obviously. Trump was on the phone trying to tell them to knock it off and vote for McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is there, Here, take this call. He's on speaker. And, of course, the congressman, he's got his hand up, waving her off like, nope, nope, not interested. He's walking off.
0: I think that was actually – I think the one she was holding up to was Matt Rosendale of Montana who was one of the holdouts, and he was actually one of the final six who never voted for McCarthy. So props to him. He never wavered even with Donald Trump on the phone being held up in his face. So props to Congressman Rosendale for that. So what was the result of this in terms of substantial policy? There were a lot of victories, and these, there's some that are a little more symbolic, some that are kind of empty, but also some really good ones. Uh, count. I knew when I was initially writing my article for America Readers, I'm thinking, okay, where can I find, there's got to be a good comprehensive list somewhere of the concessions that the conservatives got out of McCarthy. Oh, of course, the Federalist has got to have them. And sure enough, they did. We'll include a link in the description below. This is from the Federalist. This is from the uh, Emily Yashinsky at the Federalist, who highlights the seven major concessions that were ultimately won out of McCarthy by the conservatives in over the course of all the haggling and bargaining on the floor You know, during those amazingly chaotic four days. So we'll go through these one by one. First, the, the biggest one, the one everyone focused on, it now takes only a single member of Congress To call for a motion to vacate the chair, which basically triggers another speaker election. This is what the Freedom Caucus uh, did ultimately to get Boehner to quit, and that led to the rise of Paul Ryan. This is a style known as the Jeffersonian motion. This obviously is a good thing. It keeps McCarthy—they were talking about it being lowered to just five members, but ultimately bringing it down to just one person— McCarthy has his back right up against the wall. He has no choice now but to keep the conservatives happy. This, this keeps him in check. If even one person, Lauren Boer, Matt Gates, whoever, decides to vacate the chair and they get enough people on their side, at least three other people on their side to, for four votes total, to keep him below the majority, this happens all over again. So this is a very good thing. McCarthy now has to constantly be looking over his shoulder. Number two, a church style committee to investigate the Biden regime's weaponization of intelligence agencies, you know, FBI, DOJ. This could potentially be just another dog and pony show, especially because I believe this committee is going to be headed by Jim Jordan. And I, as I talked about in my article, he, again, he supported McCarthy from the very beginning. He is not a solid conservative. He's not very effective. Oh, He very much is just like Trey Gowdy. All he does is scream in committee hearings so that the soundbite will be played on Fox News for Sean Hannity and the others. Just, or or oh clapping for him like seals because he screamed at a Democrat mm-hmm. in, a, in a committee hearing to cover up for the fact that he doesn't actually do anything. So and th- I
2: do want to point out that this was one of the complaints that uh, that really turned my dad against not really against conservatism, but against the Republican Party is because of all the Benghazi hearings. It's like yes. they had all those Benghazi hearings. They brought Hillary Clinton before the for those hearings. They grilled her time and time again and nothing ever came of it. Like nothing happened. So at that point, it was just like, OK, so what's the point? Like, why vote Republican?
0: So funny enough, we mentioned the Bengh- Benghazi hearing, which, of course, as I mentioned, was led by Trey Gowdy of South Carolina, who kind of set I think he set the template for what Jim Jordan is honestly doing. The last effective committee chairman the Republicans had was Daryl Issa. He actually really weaponized the uh, the House Oversight Committee while he was there. But then Gowdy turned it into a complete dog and pony show. So Gowdy, not surprisingly, it, was not happy about this either. And this is what he had to say. We'll play what he had to say about the speaker vote. This is from January 4th. And then we'll play Gates's response, which was just perfect. You're never going to get some of these people, uh, Sean. I, I mean, they live to be in opposition to Republicans. But,
1: but people watching your show need to call and say, you know what? I didn't work my tail off in November to watch y'all look like a clown show on national television. So oh. y'all get behind Kevin. You got your motion to vac- vacate. As it relates to President Trump, they love him when they need a pardon. They love him when they need attention. But when he says Kevin's my person, all of a sudden they know better. I mean, they know better than the Republican conference.
2: Kevin got 85 percent of the vote in the primary, and yet they know
0: better. So uh, that's the phrase. Nobody's saying
2: that. No one is saying no one is saying that. No one is sitting home saying I didn't work my tail off as a campaigner or I didn't vote just to have y'all make this look like a clown show. Like, if anything, members of the Freedom Caucus were gaining support when they informed their voters that they were actually opposing Kevin McCarthy. The rank-and-file Republican voter was not ringing up his congressman unless he's just a NPC, and he heard Mark Levin (laughs) screaming in the microphone telling him to call Congress and get – Kevin McCarthy elected, but your average Republican voter, your average conservative was not invested in Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. So this is complete nonsense. Like nobody was saying that.
0: Overwhelmingly, the base is disproportionately underrepresented in Congress. You have these roughly 20 or so, these 20 holdouts who represent 70% of the base that doesn't support McCarthy, give or take. But of course, Trey Gowdy not being in Congress anymore, now being a Fox News personality is going to take the same stance as Gingrich and Crenshaw and the rest. And in that clip, he used a phrase that a lot of people use this kind of became the dominant thing this was the talking point that went out call it a clown show it's a clown show it's a clown show it's a clown show that was going out he was saying it other people were saying it and gates again he, he was making the media rounds to defend this as it was happening this is what gates had to say in response to that a day later on january 5th also on fox news
1: Well, Trey Gowdy would know something about
0: clown shows. That's probably how a lot of us would categorize the Benghazi hearings that resulted in people screaming at each other in a big report, but no real accountability. Uh, I remember the Trey
1: Gowdy who went on your network as a congressman and said that he would reviewed what had gone on with the
0: FBI and the Department of Justice and that they had done nothing wrong and that actually the American people would be happy of what they were looking at with President Trump. We now, of course, know that to be false. And even Trey Gowdy has expressed regret about that. So I don't exactly take uh, a lot of
1: armchair quarterbacking from uh, someone who, during his time in Congress, wasn't among the fighters.
0: Yeah, Again, Gates just absolutely slapping him down. That was well done. And I, I got to say, too, also, props once again to the people doing the chyrons of Fox News. This is him. Uh, he I don't know whose show this was. This was kind of just their live coverage. Uh, Trace Gallagher, that's his name. Trace Gallagher is the guy he's talking to. And they, at one point, as Gates is talking, they show B-roll of... An overhead shot like directly above like aerial shot from within the House chamber of a time lapse of all the members uh, during the vote. So they're kind of zipping back and forth rapidly, like going up to the front, zipping back around, talking to each other all in fast motion. And the Chiron then changes to House of Cards, which is literally a reference to how the House of Cards show had that the rapid time-lapse of the DC scenery, of the cars you know, driving around past the monuments, all in fast motion, the sun rising and setting, all that stuff. So, once again, props to the people who do the graphics and the Chirons at Fox News. That was very, very well done. Mad respect for that. Uh, that made me a little nostalgic for House of Cards up until I suddenly remember how disastrously the, the sixth season ultimately ended. But side know i just had to say that but again gates was having none of it and he took trey gowdy to task you know to remind him again like jim jordan like some of these other people trey gowdy did nothing but create sound bites to get boomers on fox news clapping for him thinking oh loud to words to donate be- money to donate money yes because he made loud words he made angry noises at democrats so that uh, again that was one more thing that th- this church style committee not a great victory we'll see what pans out we'll see what happens as a result of this the third thing was that they agreed a vote will ultimately be held to impose term limits on congress which is something that president trump actually called for in his 2024 announcement speech so this is in line with president trump's agenda uh will this happen no this is a symbolic gesture that even if passes the house will not pass the senate and will not get to biden's desk and if it does get to his desk he'll veto it even then even if this were to somehow pass that way you would have to make an amendment to the United States Constitution to do this. And that you know, triggers the whole uh, – all the states have to uh, ratify it. So that's a process that will never happen because it will be seen as a Republican gesture. Even though I think the majority of Amer- the American people probably would agree with term limits on Congress, uh it probably won't happen. Again, a symbolic victory. Number four, this is a good one. No more omnibus bills. We, of course, talked about the most recent omnibus, which was $1.7 The new rule now says – Funding bills must be restricted to single issues, one issue per bill rather than broad packages, and members of Congress are given at least 72 hours to read the bill. That's a good thing. No more packaging, you know, uh, highway funding with, you know, the military budget, you know, no more slipping Ukraine funding in with funding Medicare, stuff like that. So that's definitely good. It's fiscal policy, but it is also responsibility with, you know, what, you know, case-by-case, issue-by-issue, what gets passed, what gets more scrutiny on an issue-by-issue basis. Number five, the, quote, Texas border plan, which I guess is legislation to work with the government of Texas to secure their border, because, of course, that's run by a Republican uh, administration that is more willing to secure the border. And it calls for four things, complete physical border infrastructure, fix border enforcement policies, enforce our laws in the interior. And target cartels and criminal organizations. Again, this is symbolic. This will not mean anything without the executive branch. And, of course, Biden's not going to suddenly turn around and start enforcing our immigration laws. Those are, those are his voters. Those are his future new voters that we're talking about. So, of course, this is symbolic, unfortunately. Uh, chose an allegiance to the America First agenda. But, again, there's no teeth behind this. Last two here. These are actually pretty good. Um, no more covid mandates and no more emergency funding for anything covid related. This is actually great news. This is something that just by virtue of holding the house, this is already a win. This is already getting done because now if you know, even if Biden wants to do another seventy five billion or whatever for covid funding, it can pass the Senate. It will not pass the House, which means Biden cannot sign it. So that's good. No more, no more COVID mandates passed by Congress, no more lockdowns, and no more funding for COVID justifications of COVID that realistically will just be handouts for their for their donors and their lobbyists and whatnot, which is all COVID funding really was. The last one uh says that any budget bill that calls for raising the debt ceiling must also include a matching provision to cut some government funding in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. It's boring fiscal policy, but that's not exactly a bad thing either. I'll, I'll go ahead and take that as, as a decent win. Ultimately, this new rules package was passed in the House by a margin of 220 to 213. One Republican joined all the Democrats in opposition, and that is Tony Gonzalez of Texas's 23rd district, which is ironic because they're actually in the previous Congress. There was another Tony Gonzalez, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio's 16th district, spelled the exact same way with two Z's, you know, basically the exact same name. He was one of the 10 pro-impeachment Republicans, so a total never-Trumper who uh, ultimately chose not to run for re-election, you know, like Kinsinger, because he knew he would get destroyed in the primary, especially in Ohio. But funny enough, people kept mixing up, oh, there's two Tony There's no, one is a never-Trumper and one is okay. Well, now we know the other one is also maybe not necessarily a never-Trumper, but he's definitely not with the program. He was the only Republican to vote against this, which I, I can't imagine at that point why he would do that. He's only putting a target on his back. But the good sign here is that, of course, this these are things the conservatives wanted, Ultimately, the rhinos did fall in line behind the party of your ship. McCarthy told them, you're voting for this package. We're getting this done. So Crenshaw, all the others, the, the couple of other Trumpers who were in there, like Valdeo Newhouse, they all still voted for this anyway, which shows, goes to show, the, you know, just contrary to what Gingrich said in that first video cut. The moderates are not going to rebel. The 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 squishes, the establishment types, the never Trumpers, they don't have the guts to stand up and ultimately, you know, try to throw a monkey wrench in the established in the leadership's plans. It, not the way like John McCain did when he shot down Obamacare repeal. It's only the conservatives are willing to do that. The, the moderates will not do that. They will fall in line and do what McCarthy tells them to. So that's a good sign to show that again. This agenda getting passed now shows who the real power players are in this Congress, and it's not the establishment
2: and that's why the arguments that republicans should cater toward the moderates you know the the fiscally conservative socially liberal suburban voters <laughs> is complete nonsense those fiscally conservative socially liberal voters will vote for the conservative candidate if they have to choose between the donald trump or the hillary clinton we saw that in 2016 so that's why no you need to run hard to the right you get the base behind you and the rest of them will follow Your average so-called centrist is pretty apolitical. They don't really have any political conventions. They're focused on other things in life, like they're focused on their business. They're focused on money. They're focused on their vacations. They think about politics once every four years. They will get in line. They will vote for the radical, and uh, yeah, they should not be the people that the
0: party caters to. So besides that, you know, again, that was all just in the rules package. What other promises have ultimately been kept now that McCarthy's speaker? These are actually, there's a few good ones here. So... Uh, one, this is a fun one to talk about. This is, you know, interesting as a direct result of the dynamics of the speakers race. Byron Donalds, again, the one defection who subsequently became kind of the de facto nominee of this uh, opposition group for a while, he was given a spot on the very influential steering committee in return for his ultimately voting for McCarthy. Now, that, of course, determines committee memberships. It plays a role in determining the chairmanships. And perhaps not so coincidentally, uh, once all the chairmanships were handed out for who, who gets to lead these committees. Mr. If you don't vote with me, you're you're with the terrorists. Dan Crenshaw was denied the chance to become chair of the Homeland Security Committee, which is apparently something he's been going for for quite a while, you know, as a veteran, you know, you know, fought in the Middle East, whatever. This is kind of his forte. The post is Eye
2: patch McCain off of that is keeping him from becoming the chair of the Homeland Security Committee. That's worth everything. like that's, that's worth the delay of McCarthy becoming speaker. That's worth them holding this up for three, four days. That is 100% worth it. If that alone is the only thing that they accomplished.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But it's not just that. It's it's not just that he didn't get it. It's who did get it. The position was ultimately given to Mark Green of Tennessee, who's a member of the Freedom Caucus. Now, he wasn't one of the holdouts, but he's a member of the the so-called the radicals, the terrorists. And even more deliciously, Mark Green takes over this chairmanship from uh, the Democrat who held it under the Democrat majority, Benny Thompson, who is the chair, also the chairman of the January 6th committee. So just absolutely delicious. A perfect changing of the guard here from one of the worst Democrats to a solid conservative instead of a rhino. That was just a delightful turn of events. Uh, Something else that's gotta be, and funny enough, after that, Dan Crenshaw subsequently apologized for his terrorist comments, but far too little too late. Even Ted Cruz called him out, actually. Ted Cruz publicly condemned him for using the word terrorist. So he's got no love now. I mean, maybe if that's a sign that maybe even the Texas GOP might sour on him a little bit, that's a good sign. He may live to regret that interview, that 20 seconds with Guy Benson might be the, the biggest mistake Dan Crenshaw has made in a career full of mistakes. Again, to the policy, the first bill that was taken up by McCarthy as speaker.
2: <laughs> One second. I was about to make a a, a really bad gay joke, right? <laughs> Go ahead. seconds with Guy Benson.
0: Oh. Oh oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh oh oh, that would be enough to ruin anybody's career, oh man, yeah, well, I guess that's that's a that's one way of putting it that is oh, actually
2: man. let's let's keep that in because most people don't even know that he's gay
0: yeah, I so, agree, let's keep that in let's keep action. that in that was funny, that was Which, good.
2: Which spending twenty seconds with Guy Benson should be enough to end anybody's career, honestly.
0: <laughs> oh, true though, true. There is no lie. Error four hundred four. Lie not found. Uh, so again, we'll see. See. See you in two years, Danny boy. Let's see. Let's see how that ultimately pans out for you, bud. Um. Policy-wise, the first bill taken up by McCarthy as Speaker was a measure to defund the $70 billion that was approved in the Inflation Reduction Act for the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. That was one of the most controversial aspects of that law. Uh, Again, also kind of an omnibus thing because that is completely unrelated to inflation, hiring 87,000 more agents to audit all Americans. That bill did pass the House 221 to 210, probably won't pass the Senate. Definitely won't pass Biden's desk and won't get past his veto. But you know that's another thing that's like, oh, let's get Democrats on the record as saying they support almost a hundred thousand more IRS agents. So uh, for that being the first bill, there could have been more exciting things. But again, there's not much they can pass. There's nothing on the agenda right now they could realistically pass with the support of the Senate and Joe Biden's signature. So that's that's the first thing. Let's see what else comes up on the agenda. Uh, lastly, this was a good one. I love this one. If he followed through, McCarthy made this promise a while ago, like last year. And I said, if he follows through on this, This is a good sign for his speakership. And sure enough, he did. So, of course, infamously, the Democrat majority in the last Congress voted to kick Marjorie Taylor Greene off of her committees based off of nothing in particular, just, oh, she said mean things about, you know, space lasers or something when she was a candidate back before she was in Congress. Let's vote to kick her off her committees. That was unprecedented because they did that without the consent of the minority party leadership. Usually committee assignments are determined by the party of the member in question. You know, if they if Kevin McCarthy decides he doesn't like MTG, he'll kick her off her committees. Kevin McCarthy stood by her to his credit. So Pelosi said, All right, fine, we'll override you and we'll have a majority in the House vote to kick her off which was unprecedented, and McCarthy said, all right, fine, you do this, then I'm going to consider doing this to your people. They later did it again with Paul Gozar after he posted that amazing attack on Titan video mocking Biden and AOC, which, again, was a Class A meme, all right? That was a very good meme that he slash his team posted. That really is still my theory. That's why they hated it so much. It's not because he's trying to kill AOC. That's not what it was. They were just pissed that he knows how to meme better than they do, despite the fact that he's like 60-something years old. So they did it to Gozar. So then McCarthy... For months now, had specifically named three people he would kick off of their committee assignments, and that's Ilhan Omar on the Foreign Affairs Committee, mostly due to you know her uh, obviously foreign allegiance as an immigrant herself, but also due to her numerous anti-Semitic statements, anti-Israel statements, and then also he vowed to kick both Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff off of the Intelligence Committee chair of the Intelligence Committee, which for Schiff especially was embarrassing because Schiff was the chairman of that committee in the previous Congress. Uh, the reasons there being, of course. Schiff, on numerous occasions, lied publicly in interviews and whatnot, claiming, you know, throughout Trump's presidency, he kept saying, oh, I have evidence. I've been given evidence that proves that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians. He never presented it once. He constantly lied. He just made a joke out of that committee after he took it over from Devin Nunes. And Swalwell, for those of you who don't know, there are reports out there, credible reports, that Swalwell ultimately made contact and affiliated with, for a certain period of time, a Chinese spy – and may have even had sexual relations with this Chinese spy. Whose name is Fang Fang, by the way. This isn't a joke. That's not like an all line from an Austin Powers movie. He actually very likely had sex with a Chinese spy. And even after this came out, Democrats left him on the intelligence committee. And said, oh no, we see no evidence of wrongdoing here. We're going to leave him here. So McCarthy said, no, if I'm speaker, you're gone. So sure enough, he did just that. He kicked Omar, Schiff, and Swalwell off of all of their committees. And they are all just coping and seething about it. You know, Schiff especially. I mean, again, he was chairman of this committee. Now he's got absolutely nothing. And Swalwell tried to cope even harder about it. He gave he gave an interview shortly after he was removed from his committee. And I got to read this, uh, the excerpt here. We're not going to play the video, but just the excerpt. He copes by trying to make a joke out of this. He said, the only person who supports this is my wife, who's like, great, you're going to be home to change. I love it. But the truth is, it's purely vengeance, end quote uh basically saying oh I, I get to be home more often yay me like you can tell why, this why man is here. your wife glad that you're finally going to be home more often <laughs> uh, maybe maybe she's glad you're going to be home more often
2: so you're not going to be around um chinese spies
0: yeah she can finally keep a closer eye on you and uh you know see that makes that you're not uh seen slipping out with uh, women in golden red dragon dresses who knows but yeah i <laughs> uh, i uh, you know i i hope it was worth it between him and and Ilhan Omar, you know, brother Marrier Ilhan Omar and Pencil Neck Schiff being kicked off their committees. That is a very good sign for McCarthy. That shows that he is willing to play ball and start treating the Democrats the same way they treated the Republicans when they were in the minority. So that right there is the best sign for McCarthy's speakership yet, in my opinion. Uh Jacob, what say you?
2: Well, one of the things that happens whenever any party gives into its more radical base is you start to see legislation follow in that direction if the progressives had had half the power that the Freedom caucus has, which the Freedom caucus has finally moved into its own like we we criticized the Freedom caucus last episode, the last episode of twenty twenty two kind of asking like why is it even there? like what is its purpose? It started out as a tea party caucus it, it whenever Trump got elected, who was not a not a tea party candidate, it ended up button heads with Trump. Trump actually even early in his presidency called for a tax on the on the Freedom Caucus, like basically said, get these people out of Congress. They're obstructing my agenda. They have finally kind of accepted their role as kind of straddling the, the classical liberal role as well as being nationalist. So they're for border security while also being fiscally conservative. And one of the ways that they can be fiscally conservative in a nationalistic way is the Fair Tax Act. Representative Earl Buddy Carter of Georgia, he introduced the Fair Tax Act, and as part of their negotiation, he's a member of the Freedom Caucus. And as part of their – I believe he's a member of the Freedom Caucus, but uh, even if he's not introducing the Fair Tax Act, that's something the Freedom Caucus supports. What that would do is completely eliminate the IRS. So never mind about having to fire these 87,000 new hires that uh, the Biden administration is planning on bringing onto the payroll of the IRS. You won't even have to worry about that because you'll be firing everybody who works for the IRS. You'll be completely eliminating the agency entirely. This is something that Ron Paul wanted to do. This is something that the Tea Party, most of the people who support the Tea Party wanted to do, completely eliminate the income tax and replace it with a consumption tax. And this would be like a 20% consumption tax. Now, at first thought, this is like well, okay well this was a lot of people were thinking this was a poison pill into you know to so you introduce this as a rider onto the bill that would eliminate the 87,000 IRS agents and then the republicans could say well look here we we tried to eliminate the 87,000 IRS agents but gosh darn it it just couldn't pass the house but it's not a poison pill it's a completely separate bill i had to uh, actually look this up the bill to eliminate the 87,000 IRS agents that is the family and small business taxpayer protection act That passed the House. The Fair Tax Act is yet to be voted on, but uh, this would completely eliminate everyone's income tax burden. It would also eliminate the payroll tax. So you wouldn't have to pay any more Social Security taxes. You would pay no Medicare taxes, no Medicaid taxes. All of that money would now go directly to you. Your employer wouldn't have to pay anything. You wouldn't have to pay anything. And it's just everything is – the government would be funded by a sales tax, a national sales tax. Now, this would – if it's not done right, it would hurt a lot of poor people, a lot of low-income people, a lot of the people who supported Donald Trump, which is why in order to make up for that, the uh, what, what it would do is basically give people universal basic income to offset their daily needs. So certain groceries would not be taxed, Certainly, because there's a lot of states that they don't have sales tax on groceries. Florida doesn't have a sales tax on groceries. Growing up in South Alabama, a lot of people in Alabama would drive 45 minutes to go do their grocery shopping in Florida rather than drive 15 minutes down the street to do their grocery shopping in Alabama because there was no sales tax. So you would have to – obviously, in order to avoid starving poor people, you would have to exempt certain products from being – from falling under this twenty percent sales tax, but if it's done right, it could actually tax the rich more than an income tax because you think of every, all the luxury goods that rich people pay for, that would be hit with a twenty percent income tax rather than having you know paying these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of IRS agents, you know eighty thousand, ninety thousand dollars a year. So they can snoop through people's personal incomes and end up making people's lives miserable. So that's, hey, if we can get a Republican president in 2024, that could put us on the path to eventually completely eliminate the IRS and eliminate the income tax in in favor
0: of a sales tax. The idea of that actually becoming reality is just – the I I can't even comprehend that. It's just so beautiful. When you first told me about this, Jacob, as we were prepping for the show, I didn't even hear about that bill. I I assumed it was maybe, like you said, the same as the 87000 bill. But when I first heard that, I'm like, a bill to abolish the IRS? Did Ron Paul come back into Congress or something? Like, where's this coming from? Because I know Thomas Massey introduced a bill to audit the Fed, I believe, because of course he did. He's Thomas Massey. But yeah, this is an example of how – fiscal policy that normally is just for think tank nerds and you know, libertarians could actually be very popular. I mean, um, I think you could easily convince Americans to support getting rid of the IRS. I mean, who likes paying taxes, right? Who enjoys paying taxes? Realistically, the, the argument of like who will build the roads doesn't really hold a, doesn't really hold up with most Americans. So, if if that could at all become a reality, I'd love to see it. And, you know, I think Trump absolutely would pursue that. President Trump in a second term would definitely want to do something like that. So we'll have to wait and see. It could
2: easily be sold. Currently, I don't know the percentage. It's like 30% of Americans pay no income tax. So are you going to try to sell these 30,000? Okay. Right now, you don't pay anything. In fact, you get money, you get free money from the government. But now we're going to basically increase inflation by slapping a 20% tax on everything you buy. You, you couldn't get it passed. If you did that, you would have to pair it with some form of universal basic income to get people at the bottom of the income spectrum on board with it. But you can sell, you could actually sell this to progressives. You know, if you can, if you do it right, you could sell them on this as point now that, Hey, this will actually, this will actually soak the rich the way y'all want to, this will actually tax the rich. Uh, the way that you want to even better than increasing the income tax percentage, you know, having all these like 15 different brackets of income tax.
0: All right. So to close out here, I, I got to ask you, Jacob. Uh, so what's your takeaway as far as the biggest winners and losers of this? Again, I say the biggest winners for sure were Matt Gates and Lauren Boeber. Uh, the biggest losers, I mean, Dan Crenshaw for sure is the biggest loser and the handful of others, Hannity, Levin and the couple others who show their true colors, I think. The New York Post also was another one that attacked them uh, with a cover story literally saying, grow up, you know, and just the audacity to have like Matt Gates and Lauren Bober with be, telling them to grow up as the magazine cover still has the Ukrainian flag in one corner on the opposite corner from the American <laughs> flag, like the New York post is so in the trap. I know it's owned by Murdoch. So of course it's anti-Trump now, especially like, the day after the midterms that the, like on a switch on a dime, boom, switch was flipped and now they're anti-Trump. So the New York post is done all, all these others. So uh those are my winners and losers. Again, the article is that American greatness. We'll have a link in the description below. Jacob, who is your, who are your biggest winners and or losers from the speaker's battle?
2: I agree with what you just said, but I was also, also I would throw in Byron Donalds in there because mm. nobody ever heard of this guy before – even people from Florida hadn't heard of Byron Donalds before he was proposed to be the House Speaker. And so I think his profile is going to be enhanced. Um, Matt Gates for sure. I see Matt Gates eventually uh, – because I think Matt Gates is what – he's about 40, so he's still got he's a young. lot of political yeah. life ahead of him. Yeah, so I could see him running for the Florida Senate one day. So uh, that's definitely once um, once Rick Scott retires, I definitely definitely see Matt Gaetz stepping up and uh, being a leading candidate for that seat. So uh, yeah, I would say he's the biggest winner. But uh, one of the things that I, I was reading an article in the leftist publication, they were pointing out how this whole speaker battle, it shows how the dynamic of American politics has changed from 20, 30 years ago, used to... A conservative firebrand could he could buck the GOP, like say back back during the Bush years, he could go against the Republican Party. But what he would do is he would ally himself with Fox News and with talk radio hosts, and he would he would you know. Run as a Rush Limbaugh candidate or Sean hannon candidate against the GOP establishment. What these people were doing is they were going against the talk show hosts. They yes. were going against Fox News. They were going against the New York Post. They were going against National Review. Against all the major conservative publications, all the talk show hosts, the the ones who are on Sirius XM, and they were still coming out. Like if 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, if somebody did this, their political career would be over with. Sean Hannity had the power 10 years ago to end you if you were a politician. Yes. He could end your political career uh, with one show. with His 10 million listeners would immediately turn against you. That's not the case anymore because what this article is pointing out is these politicians like Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, because of the Internet and because of all the diverse social media we have, they are now capable of building a fundraising army by themselves, they don't need Fox News anymore. They don't need to go on Hannity. They don't need. They don't even need Tucker Carlson. Even Tucker Carlson, if if he were to turn against them, it would not phase them. And Gates and Boebert and these other politicians who are in, on the Freedom Caucus, they raised a ton of money from this because all, for a lot of them, like I said, all they got to say is they oppose Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, and their support skyrocket. The, the base is not with Kevin McCarthy. The base is firmly with the Freedom Caucus. And the only reason why the Freedom Caucus doesn't have more members and isn't more powerful is, is because the base is struggling to survive. They don't have the spare time to pay attention to politics. If they did— then uh, you would see a lot more people like Matt Gates. Uh, the Freedom Caucus would probably be as big as the
0: Progressive Caucus. And once again, in comparison to the Democrats, that, of course, you still have the Democratic Party, that if you go against Pelosi, if you go against CNN, like, you know, they have the power to destroy you as well. You know, mm-hmm. they, they get some Democrats primaried out, like Dan Lipinski in Illinois, because he's a pro-life Democrat. Where we, again, on the so-called far right, we have more staying power and more independence, if you will than the far left, than their grassroots left. And once again, dude, we are on the same wavelength here with regards to Matt Gates. You mentioned him, yeah, he is 40 years old, very, very young by political standards. He, I think he absolutely has a future. And you mentioned him running for Senate. I will actually, I see you, your potential Senate bid. I raise you one governor bid. Ron DeSantis is term limited in 2026. And that's actually, I got to say, that's one other loser in this speaker's battle is DeSantis. For the first time now since the midterms, no one is talking about Ron DeSantis. He's not getting nonstop wall-to-wall coverage on Fox News, you know, conservative media gushing over him. Now there is, at, le- at least now, two Florida Republicans that the media is going nuts over, the conservative media is going nuts over now, and that's Matt Gates and Byron Donalds. So you know Ron DeSantis is just seething right now that finally some major development in politics, in conservative politics, has completely thrown him to the side. He's irrelevant in this battle because he's just the governor of Florida. Strangely enough, yeah, he was nowhere to be found. He didn't say a word on this. He didn't come out and say, like, oh, I, I support the holdouts, or he didn't even take a side if he supported McCarthy or anything. He just – he was suspiciously quiet, you know, which is funny considering he's supposed to be the new leader of the GOP, according to Fox News. But, yeah, Matt Gaetz, I think absolutely – as I said in my article, he is the new leader of the America First movement from within the halls of Congress. So uh, what do you say to that? Do you still say senator or you say governor? I, I don't
2: think I- – I don't think he's going to jump down to state politics. I don't, I don't I don't see him doing that. I think he's built uh, so much of a national brand he's thought of more as being a national
0: politician. Uh, I, I don't see him jumping down to state politics. That's a good point although some would make the counter argument that of course as a governor yeah, it's state politics but you're the executive. you have power as a member of Congress and especially as a member of the Senate, it's the worst when you're in the Senate because your entire constituency is a state. But you have no power to do anything. You're not in command of state agencies. You don't get to sign executive orders. You're just one out of 100. And at least in the House, you have like a smaller district. But as governor, of course, you can do things. You can sign bills. You can sign executive orders. But we'll see. We'll see. So either way, I think we can agree there is a run for higher office somewhere in case it's future. Realistically, yeah, McCarthy is speaker. But Matt Gates is now the shadow speaker of the House of Representatives. So, or maybe Lauren, on some days, Lauren Boebert may be shadow speaker. On other days, Paul Gosar may be shadow speaker. It's a truly beautiful thing. And there are some great times ahead. If only we had the executive in the Senate, if we had the White House in the Senate with this House, some really good stuff could get done. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of The Right Take. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, be sure to follow us for all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com, the full list of social media websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, if ever you guys are feeling oh so generous and want to continue supporting the work that we do here at The Right Take, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.